Hey guys, welcome back to the EV Diaries. This is the place where I explore EVs in small town America. And in case you didn't know, I am an engineer for a electric utility. Actually, I work for a co-op in southeastern Kentucky. And because of that, I get to see articles that are intended for people in my line of work and one of the things that um, I have noticed is that utilities, uh, me included uh, as being part of a utility, uh, the whole EV thing, um, we're, we're just fascinated by it. We're learning about it. We're actually feeling our way through it. Um, I know that uh, when EVs became, become more mainstream, what we're uh, going to deal with is... Uh, the current electric infrastructure that we have now um, it's going to need some upgrades so we're all learning um, some by doing a lot by reading by doing research and uh, planning for you know the eventuality that is coming with EVs and like I said in small town America I believe that you can operate an EV effectively efficiently on that point, I came across an article on uh, eenews.net, which was written by David Ferris. Now, the title of the uh, article was called, uh, Can EVs Find Allies in Rural America? And it was a look at North Dakota. Now, to be honest, this was fascinating to me because I've never been to North Dakota. And I do get the vastness of the great American West. I mean, there's just, just wide open expanses of everything. But I really can't comprehend the cold that they deal with. I, I was in Madison, Wisconsin one year in, in February. And uh, at the time, I was uh, training for my first half marathon. And I got out and ran, but I cannot imagine. Of course, you know, I was, I was in a city, so there was some wind and... Madison is situated between two lakes, so I don't know. I didn't think it was windy up there, but I can imagine that in places where it is as flat um, as it is in the middle part of America, that the wind just can be brutal. So I can not imagine cold and brutal. And like I've mentioned several times, in Kentucky we have four seasons, and You've got to realize that cold for us is in the teens. I mean, it's a deep freeze around here if we get below zero. Um, hot is usually, you know, in the summer we hit 90s, but, of course, it feels like 110 because of the heat index. Uh, we do have some high humidity. On average, winter is 23 degrees at night, and the daytime high in summer is 95 the rest of the year, we're usually temperate between 50 and 80 degrees. So looking at this, looking at the cold, and looking at just how spread out everything is, North Dakota definitely has some challenges that I can't fully comprehend. But I still believe that EV adoption is occurring in North Dakota. And 
a lot of people in North Dakota from reading this article seem to be EV curious. All right, some fun facts before we get started. 66% of electricity in North Dakota is generated from coal. There are 144 EVs registered. Uh, 100 of those are Teslas. And that's when this was article was written, and uh, it just came to my attention a few days ago, so I think it's current. Um, and if you want to know, this is early 2020, um, you know, five years from now, assuming that I'm still podcasting about EVs, um, you have a frame of reference. North Dakota has 55 charging stations. Keep in mind that... Um, North Dakota is 70,000 square miles, actually close, closer to 71. Uh, a third of these 55 chargers are in Fargo, and most of the rest are just plug-ins at RV parks. They're the only state without a DC fast charging station or a Tesla supercharger. The article seemed to indicate that that was getting ready to change as far as the Tesla supercharger goes. So let's look, explore some of the challenges. And like I said, North Dakota, never been there. So they, they have some unique things going on. Distance between things. Like I said, it's vast. Um, the article quotes a Tesla owner in Dickinson, um, basically saying that it's 100 miles to the closest target, which, you know, my closest target is 62, but there's a Walmart in every town and Dollar General about every two miles. In fact, Dollar General around here pop up like daisies. Um, there's actually three within five miles of my home. Most occupations in North Dakota involve ranching, mining, or working in the oil fields. So you can imagine that they love their pickup trucks. In fact, they do. They like their big trucks. They like the F-250s and 350s. A uh, lot of diesel pickups. Of course, the weather's a challenge because it's windy and cold. As we've talked about in the past, uh, wind causes more resistance, which shortens range. Uh, the car does not work as efficiently when it's windy. Uh, but all cars are that way, not just EVs. The cold, we know, shortens the range up to about 40%, but it's not necessarily detrimental to the overall battery health, not like heat. Cold in North Dakota is anywhere from 30 to 35 below zero, which I just cannot imagine. And with the wind chill, you can get down to about 65 below zero. I'm, come on. I mean, that is just like, oh my gosh. I'm not sure that I would want to operate an internal combustion engine in that kind of weather. Now, some other things... North Dakota has proposed legislation that is going to impose a $120 fee for EV owners to offset the fuel tax. Um, they said that they estimate that this tax is much higher than what internal combustion owners pay. But doesn't that really depend on the distance driven? North Dakota, like Kentucky, has a $0.26 cent per gallon gas tax. And I know that my average week is 450 miles. So I was just looking at, based on 30 miles a gallon, that's 15 gallons, which roughly translates to $3.90 a week in gas. 
That's $202.80 a year. So this buck 20 that North Dakota is proposing, um, it seems like a bargain. But again, it seems like distance factors into this. So a flat fee, you know, uh, if you're driving long distance, it's a good, good deal. And, you know, that's sort of funny that I got to thinking about this. I pay $202.80 a year ballpark as a tax, and it's it's just hidden. I don't even think about it, don't even consider, you know, how much it is. But, you know, this sort of opened my eyes to that. But it is what it is. What are some of the solutions in North Dakota? And the article does a really good job of, of looking at these. Ford which is featured at the beginning of the article, offered three Mustang Mach-E's to Red Rock Ford and Dickinson in exchange for the dealership to install two chargers. And I'm assuming that they're level two, one for public use outside the dealership and one in the garage for service. Um, They also had to buy battery service equipment and needed to send their mechanics to training to learn how to work on the Uh, Mustang Mach-E. Our local Nissan dealership's the same way. There's a charger behind the dealership. It shows up on the PlugShare app and and all the apps like that. And uh, there's one inside the garage. And it's funny because there's not a Nissan Leaf on that lot. Although I figure that if I ever wanted to order one, um, they could definitely get it to me. Uh, But that just shows that Ford is being forward-thinking, and it's because they want the new Mustang to succeed, which I think we all do. It's a a novel, novel car, and I I like it. There's another utility, which is an investor-owned utility, which is Ottertail Power Company, and their service they describe as roughly the size of Wisconsin. And they are planning to sprinkle 22 chargers in their service territory over the next two years. And they said that that would uh, give their customers, or at least 90% of their customers, would be within 30 miles of a public charging station. That's pretty cool. There was no mention, though, how many of those would be DC fast charge. The article also mentions, and like I said, this article is targeted towards engineers and that work for utilities. Um, utilities in Georgia and North Carolina considering to do the same thing. And they offer homeowners on their system a $400 rebate for installing a charger in their garage, but Ottertail has to be able to manage it. And I'm assuming that that is a level two home charger. There's a co-op up there, uh, Cass County Electric. They've installed 20 chargers at no cost to members who sign up for nighttime charging rates. I mentioned that uh, the legislature had proposed a $120 tax on EVs. Well, here's something pretty cool. They've also passed a non-icing parking fine for anyone that's at a charger not plugged in. That includes internal combustion engines, and EVs occupying the spot. So there would be none of what happened to Becky at Disney World going on there. And here is a a cool idea, and it's not the first time I've heard of this, but apparently some of the Tesla owners up there are sharing their home chargers 
with other Tesla owners that are traveling through the area. That's pretty cool because that's the EV community coming together to support each other. The last half of the article um, mentioned an unlikely friend, and that is the Lignite Energy Council, which is a lobby group for the state's coal mining and power companies. The Lignite Energy Council has helped fund infrastructure projects. Uh, They helped pay for an electric school bus. They leased a Tesla Model X so that they could take it and show it off. It makes sense to me because of beneficial electrification, because most charging happens at home at night. And something I didn't realize, that this stance actually arose out of an impact that wind is having in North Dakota. According to the article, the wind blows more at night and harder at night than it does during the day. If you keep in mind that electricity has to be used when it's generated, unless it's stored in a battery, which isn't common, because the when uh, the windmills are generating electricity at night, it mes- messes with the coal-fired baseload for the utilities. And one day I might get into, might do an episode explaining why all this works, but essentially coal-fired power plants are slow to respond. They do not ramp up quickly. So as demand increases, it's harder for them to, to stay with the demand, so they look for short-term help, burst, I guess, from other fuels such as natural gas, which they can fire up quicker, and then once they can get their coal back up to speed, then they can turn the alternative fuels off, and then as the peak starts to drop, well, then they have to slowly, and like I said, you can't um, make coal-fired power plants uh, move quickly, so you uh, they have to taper off as the, the peak comes down. And this excess energy generated by the wind is messing with that because the base load is lower, but the peaks are still there. So there's a bigger disparity between the, the actual low and the the peak that the power plant has to cover and like i said we might get into that at a later date it's uh it's really an interesting interesting thing when they have differences in peak like that um, it's more expensive we have a thing in kentucky which i know a lot of states do and it's called different things but we have a fuel surcharge or I should say East Kentucky Power has a fuel surcharge. It's authorized by the Public Service Commission to reclaim the cost associated with this need for extra fuel to meet the peak. Uh, It's calculated every month, and the bigger the disparity between the peak and the baseload, then the higher the surcharge will be for that month. And that gets passed on to the end user, which is all of our our members. You see 
EVs charging at night will help keep that base load higher. And when without storage is what's causing it to be lower in North Dakota. Solar helps because, you know, most peaks occur during the day when the sun's shining. So it's not as um, detrimental to maintaining this base load. And like I said, we'll, we'll get into this sometime. It's probably a, an explanation better suited by video because anytime I've ever explained it to somebody, I've had a piece of paper and a pen in my hand so I can draw charts and graphs and such. So I've never considered uh, small-town America and other states. And, uh, it, well, other than the ones I frequent because I live in Kentucky, um, spend time in Ohio, Tennessee, uh, sometimes make it as far down south as Georgia and Alabama. And as far as climate goes, all these states are similar to Kentucky. We have the, the hot sweltery humid summers and um, you know I know it stays warmer in the winter and obviously in Alabama and Georgia but as far as you know Tennessee Ohio we're within reason and even though I know it's colder in some of these locales than um what really uh, what what it is around here? I've never considered the wind. Uh, we've got rolling hills. You know, some people have mountains, and some places are, are just flat. But regardless, a lot of free thinkers in North Dakota are like me. They agree that EVs belong in rural America. It's just a matter of finding a car that fits your needs, and figure out what challenges you need to face and how to overcome those. And then at that point, don't look back. But isn't that the same for internal combustion engine cars too? You've got to find something that fits your needs and figure out how you're going to operate it, and then you purchase it. The big difference is that there's gas stations on every corner and that there is a wider selection of vehicles to fit your needs. And all that is changing as these manufacturers are getting on board with the EVs. All right, click that subscribe button. Uh, thank you again for listening. The EV revolution is here, even in North Dakota. But this time of year, it's a fun but cold ride. <laughs>